0: all right well hello friends uh both those who are uh, joining us in the room here and also those who are joining us uh, online Uh, my name's brad i'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at jericho ridge and it's a privilege to have you with us as we dive uh, into a topic today Uh, that'll be a standalone message And it will launch us uh, into what we're going to talk about next week, uh, because next week we are beginning a series uh, entitled This We Believe. And what we're going to do is, in the early part of this calendar year, we're going to go through and look at uh, the 18 different articles in our Confession of Faith. And we're going to spend a week on each one. We're not going to do it all together. Uh, We're going to sort of weave in and out of that. But we're going to cover a good amount of ground in terms of our foundational convictions uh, as people of faith and as Mennonite brethren. And uh, what can happen, though, is when you think about, oh, a statement of belief, that sounds so interesting. Um, it can it can think, you can think, well, that's a little bit dry and just like a bunch of dogmatic statements that people make. But I want us to show us today, Uh, that the the way in which we understand Scripture has very real implications for our lives together. And so we're going to do a little bit of a case study, a few case studies actually, that are very live right now in our world to kind of illustrate how do we move from that place of what the Scriptures say to what we believe as shared convictions to how we live that out collectively and individually. And so today we're going to talk uh, about watching our witness, how to respond in a time of vaccines, mandates, and conversion therapy bills. So just a few non-controversial light topics for a random January message. So you will have noticed by now, if you're paying any level of attention, that the um, people who identify as Christians have really diverse opinions on things, uh, particularly these things. And... Things like vaccines, government mandates, uh, restrictions put in place by governments, laws, such as Bill C-4 recently passed. Um, And so a meaningful question to consider is just to step back from that and ask the question, so how is it that people come to differing convictions reading the same Bible? And I want this morning to essentially walk us through a little bit of how we as Mennonite Brethren have shaped some of our convictions. And I want to do a little bit what your math teacher would push you to do in high school. You know that teacher where I had a physics teacher where I would skip to the end and just write the answer? Um, and I would not be able to prove how I got it at all. And he was forever saying, Brad, you have to show your work. I have to understand how you got there, so that if there's any part of your thinking that's not correct in that, that it's not just the answer that you have that matters, it's how you got there that's important. And really, that's what I want to help us do a little bit theologically. It's not sufficient to say as a person with Christian convictions, well, I believe this. You have to say, well, why do you believe that? Where do you draw those convictions from? What are the elements that would support that in your, in your theological lens and framework in that way? And so I want uh, to help understand why, as Mennonite brethren, we have chosen to articulate some aspects of our confession in certain ways, and then how do those convictions impact the challenges that we are facing in our day and in our time? And I want to just say... First and foremost, that this is not a sermon to try and convince you of anything in particular. You may have a very different perspective on this, and you may come out differently. But what I want to encourage you to do is to show your work and be able to articulate, here's, here's why I come to the convictions that I come to and the place that I come to and that I stand. Um, it's always important to be able to show your work. And my uh, thinking in our time together this morning has been very helpfully influenced by a white paper that uh, a group of our uh, National Faith and Life team has worked on and written and we just spent some time uh, with them, about 200 leaders across Canada, spent time with them this week, kind of pushing into different aspects of it, asking questions and clarifying some things together. So I'm grateful for them uh, for hosting that and grateful for some of the thinking that's been done on that. And part of the reason that this feels important to me is just some of the things that I'm seeing on the ground. And I'll test a few things with you and see if these are things that you're seeing as well. Because Naive old me, I thought the further we got into this thing, the more things would settle down (laughs) on so many different fronts. But what I'm seeing now is, in fact, the opposite. I'm I'm seeing increasing levels of division, and then that seems to lead to increasing levels of silence, people freezing other people out in conversations. I'm seeing people who used to Uh, talk to each other, lost in complete echo chambers online. I'm seeing increasing anger, and then sometimes that degenerates into silence. People who are vaccinated, losing patience with those who are not. People who who are normally very civil with each other, becoming outright belligerent and hostile. Family dinners blowing up, and then uneasy silences descending for months. From a pastoral perspective... This is concerning because of the long-term impact on relationships. And there's damage that I'm concerned that if it's done, in some ways may not be able to be undone. And I'm also just concerned about our capital C Church in Canada's witness at this time. And I think it, it, again, maybe I was a little bit naive, but I was surprised at the level of shrill voices. Never surprises me coming from south of the border, but surprising the level of shrill voices coming from Canadian churches and Canadian leaders and Canadian religious people. And I'm concerned that our capacity for witness, our ability to speak into our culture, our ability to speak to our neighbors and friends about issues of faith can be compromised in the way in which people of faith are conducting themselves in this season. And Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 5 to be careful how we live, to live like those who are wise. And living like those who are wise is, is always a challenge. And as Christians, living as ones who are wise means that we seek our authority from the scriptures on issues Um, And so, a question that is natural to ask is to say, okay, but Brad, if you say we seek our authority in the scriptures, the Bible doesn't say anything about vaccines. So, how in the world do you develop a theological framework that would help wrestle with a question to be wise in the way in which we live? So, I think that the challenge or the tension that we face, and every era has faced this, is that the Bible is not easily turned into a quote-unquote answer book for every ethical, social, or complex dilemma that we face. That's not actually how the scriptures work. And this is where discernment actually needs to come uh, into play. And in our tradition that we stand in, the Anabaptist tradition, we stand in a, in a tradition of community discernment, where we work together at things to try and understand and live together so that we can discern what God is saying to us collectively in this moment. And there really is a communal uh, decision-making and communal dimension to our conviction. So let me just start by a few presuppositions then. So presupposition number one is this. We have to ask, in any area, how do our convictions, our behaviors, and our communication about those convictions and behaviors reflect the character of Jesus before a watching world? Not just the convictions that we hold, but how those convictions, and then how do our lived experience of those convictions reflect the character of Jesus? So this is the question of watching our witness. And you may come to different conclusions on things like vaccines or the relationship of churches and states, but we want to recognize also a second presupposition that, number two, what we do or what you do may not be outright a sin. This may not be a sin issue, but... If we fail in this season to reflect the character of Jesus to a watching world, that is something that does need to be repented of. So you can hold a non-sin position and actually still sin by the way in which you go about carrying yourself. And so we need to just pause and ask ourselves as a community and as individuals, how are you doing in 2022? Has any part of your actions or your attitudes online or in person slipped in terms of the capacity to honor Jesus and honor others, regardless of what position you take or they take on these issues? The world is watching. So the first thing to say, we come now to the position where we're going to show our work a little bit. So the first thing to say is, as Christians, when we approach any topic, doesn't matter what it is, it is our, our obligation to seek and to speak truth. We are to be people who seek and speak truth because we are image bearers of a God who is interested in truth. And being an image bearer of Jesus in the world involves investigating, discerning, reflecting, and speaking what is true. It is an act of Christian discipleship, therefore, to ask questions, to investigate competing truth claims, and to seek out trustworthy sources. One of the things that I heard repeatedly in my undergraduate studies as a student was this phrase, all truth is God's truth. And and what I understood that professors were saying to me in those spaces were saying, Brad, truth found in natural sciences, truth found in beauty, truth found in poetry, truth found in history, all of this needs to be tested, investigated, sought out, discerned, but actively sought to be sure and weighed. And here's where I think we're in trouble in our world today because we've moved into a world where multiple authority sources are appealed to as being true on all manner of issues, and this is where families are parting ways. Sometimes over at the authority source or the truth source level, over YouTube clips, or over a member saying, well, when I pray about it, I just don't feel peace about getting the vaccine. So I'm not here to argue with you, either way of thinking. What I want you to think about in those two instances is what is being appealed to as the truth claim there? What is the source of authority that is being appealed to there? And what are these sources of authority in your life that you are seeking and that you are promoting? And so if I were sitting down for coffee with you, I would probably try and phrase it, even if we were on opposite sides of an issue, I'd probably try and phrase it in this way. When it comes to whatever it is we're talking about in in this particular conversation, questions of vaccines, mandates, government restrictions, what are trustworthy sources of truth that have formed and shaped your convictions? And then subsequent to that, why have you chosen to trust those sources? What about them feels true to you? What has the ring of truth, and what kind of investigation have you done on that? And an important part then on the flip side of this is resolving any sense of dissonance with claims with respect to truth is asking the question, are you open to other perspectives? Are you open? But asking it in the sense of what evidence would you need for you to reconsider what you presently hold to be true about something like vaccinations, mandates, and government restrictions? Any, any part of being open to resolving conflict means, can't just say, well, your truth sources are ridiculous. You at least need to engage at some point and try and press in and understand why does that person or people think that those are trustworthy sources of information. And I would want you to ask me those same questions as well. And we may, still may come to a point where we may not be able to accept each other's sources As authority and trustworthy but what would it take for you to change your mind on that question? These might be some conversation prompts for you to have a conversation with someone in your life in love who is on a different side of these issues and remember when you do that you always do it with gentleness and you do it with respect. If the person is not Respected and doesn't feel like you're honoring them as a person in respectful conversation Then things are not likely they're not likely to treat you with that same level of respect You're not likely to win at this point That we've arrived at in a global pandemic with turning up the belligerence or the arrogance any more than is already present gentleness and respect so firstly seek the truth and speak the truth. And so that is a question of behavior. That's a question of asking, like, is what I'm posting or reposting actively true, or is it a caricature or an exaggeration of people who don't share my opinion? Have I done some a little bit digger-deeping on something that I'm going to repost? So much of what is online these days is not even close to true. And yet, it's being held up as authority sources. So rege- resist and reject participating in the spreading of things which are not true. That would be a time for an amen. <laughs> Secondly, we're to be people who speak and seek truth. Secondly, we are to value and support whatever is in the direction of rich and robust human life. Fear, spiritual, physical, relational, psychological, lived in harmony with creation. We are to be people who are interested in human flourishing. This is why we continuously make investments in and talk about mental health here at Jericho Ridge, because we are interested in moving in the direction of robust and rich life, and helping people step into that place. We are people who are interested in human flourishing, and so we oppose effects to diminish human life, shorten human life, take human life. We support efforts to relieve human suffering, that's why we're involved internationally in places like Guatemala, in places like Tanzania. We support things like scientific research and values that point in the direction of human life because God is the life giver and the one who has numbered our days. So this foundation stone means that we are going to support actions that contribute to human life and well-being unless there are extenuating circumstances involved that are contrary to some other foundation stone of Christian discipleship. And so the question that we want to ask ourselves here is how are your convictions and your behaviors related to things like vaccines, mandates, and government restrictions supporting robust human life? And do your convictions in any way increase the likelihood of human death or non-flourishing? If so, what other values or convictions, theologically or otherwise, would you see as justifying this? Since that would be contrary to our touchstone of seeking and promoting flourishing life. And we're going to explore this more carefully and quite directly when we come to Article 14 in our Confession of Faith, which talks about the sanctity of life. And so we're going to talk about things like medical assistance in dying and what it means to live out our values of being people who support life. So that's a second foundation stone. We want to proceed and support rich human flourishing. Third touchstone. Our actions must reflect God's true love of neighbor, including any that we might see as our enemy. And this is the part, again, where the level of vitriol and hatred, you know, I don't know that I would have said I had any enemies on my block two years ago. But now we've moved into this awkward position where there are a few people for whom the conversations feel no matter what, we're just even casually talking over the fence, that at any moment they could degenerate into something completely unhelpful. And so some of the neighborhood relationships have frayed and fractured. And so I'm trying to figure out again, what does it mean to love neighbors who used to feel easier to love and to live in peace with them? And so again, this is not just what your stance is, but how have you lived out that love of neighbor? Have you maybe as an evidence of that, uh, given money to a charity that's working to combat the impacts of the pandemic globally somewhere in the developing world. Maybe you've taken food to a friend or a neighbor who has had COVID. Maybe you've just worked as hard as you can, and it has been only by God's grace that you've been able to keep respectful dialogue with you in uh, that neighborhood conversation across the fence, who, that person who can't stop jabbering on about conspiracy theories or one of the things that I've been challenged about recently is sometimes some of those neighbors I've just I've been guilty of deliberately avoiding them and that's not loving well of looking out before I go out into the backyard are they out if they are maybe I don't want to go outside right now I'll wait to take all the garbage later I want to try and work harder in this year in loving well even though we're going to probably stay on different sides of the divide. Don't, um, don't cross them off your Christmas card or your Christmas cookie list because of their opinions. Amen. Love doesn't mean accepting their opinions at face value is true, but it does mean staying in that sense of proximity and relationship, even with those who annoy or frustrate you. So fourth, our actions must reflect love of God and neighbor. Fourthly, we are answerable to God for the stewardship Of our own bodies and for individuals under our care so this means amongst other things and here I'm quoting from the white paper that we do with our bodies and we put into our bodies what we do with them is not just a question of personal freedom or preferences but it is actually a discipleship question it's a stewardship question stewardship means that we should not take unnecessary risks with our bodies, abuse our bodies, or avoid medical treatments, it could provide a means of healing and or protection to our bodies. Most of the conversations about that these days, though, relate to how diverse and how different the perspectives are with respect to how the church and Christians should relate to those in authority, particularly those who are opposing or imposing restrictions. And so let's talk for a few minutes about what guidance the Bible would give to that. I want to invite you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 13. And there is some both clarity and I would say nuance here. Romans chapter 13, uh, verses 1 to 5. The way that we express this as men and brethren in article 12 of our confession is that we are called to live wisely in relationship to human governments, In Romans uh, chapter 13, verses 1 to 5, Paul says this, Everyone must submit to governing authorities, for all authority comes from God, and those in positions of authority have been placed there by God. So anyone who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted, and they will be punished. For the authorities do not strike fear in people who are doing right, but in those who are doing wrong. Would you like to live without fear of the authorities? Do what is right, and they will honor you. The authorities are God's servants sent for your good. But if you are doing wrong, of course you should be afraid, for they have the power to punish you. They are God's servants sent for the very purpose of punishing those who do wrong, so you must submit to them, not only to avoid punishment, but also to keep a clear conscience. So Paul is writing to um, first century Christians living under, frankly, a quite oppressive uh, regime in Rome. And, and we have to also acknowledge that this is the, not only the only text in the New Testament that gives guidance with respect to how people of faith should engage with government. Another text that we would do well to pay attention to would be Revelation, Revelation chapter 13. In Romans chapter 13, Paul is imploring the early Christians facing an oppressive government to be subject to governing authorities because the government's been established by God and is for your good, and is God's servants. And so for the vast majority of the New Testament, the default assumption is that governments play a supportive role in God's true life intentions so that God's kingdom community can flourish. And so Romans 13 tells us that normatively we would comply with government guidelines and health measures which are there for our good. First Peter chapter 2 verse 13. But Romans 13 is not the whole story. Because we can think about Christians and churches throughout history that have been persecuted by evil governments wanting to overstep their divinely approved mandate and bring order instead of desiring ultimate uh, and unconditional loyalty. And so Revelation chapter 13 actually paints this sort of a picture of a different type of authority, a different type of government. And it it is using the language or the metaphor of of a beast or a dragon in strong opposition to God's eternal kingdom, the body of Christ, and the well-being of all creation. And we're taught throughout the New Testament not to be naive to the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 12. And so if a secular government is deliberately taking steps in opposition to God's kingdom, our refusal to give it loyalty is also a part of faithful Christian discipleship. And so there's a real tension built into these questions and conversation in our day and in our time. And the question is, what sort of a moment is this? Is this a Romans 13 moment? Or is this a Revelation 13 moment? Is this a Romans 13 issue, or is our response to be more Revelation 13 with respect to this issue? And and this may well be the case with the recent passing of Bill C-4 on conversion therapy, because the preamble to the bill, not the bill itself, but the preamble, makes a statement clearly contradictory to a Christian vision of human sexuality. So there are parts With respect to this legislation where we would agree with the government, we would agree that it is clear and right to be opposed to abusive and coercive practices of all kinds, whether it's respect to converting someone to faith or with respect to someone's sexuality. And so we would agree with that as an unhealthy type of manipulative kind of therapy that Bill C-4 has criminalized. Yet at the same time, We are people who hold to a different vision of human sexuality than as expressed as the default in the preamble to that bill. And so in instances which we will find ourselves in in the future, the question is maybe right now we're finding ourselves in a Romans chapter 13 position, but we may come to a place in time where there may be stronger evidence that our government is in deliberate opposition to human life and flourishing and a representation of God's kingdom. And then we would work and discern together as a community of churches that if indeed the government is moving into that place where they're adopting that role of beast or dragon from Revelation 13, then we would say we must seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness, and we would live out our opposition again in a way that is consistent with the presuppositions of our other foundation stones. So this is the big question for us to wrestle with. Do you believe that this is a Romans 13 moment where we submit ourselves to government mandates and leadership during the pandemic? Or do you believe that this is a Revelation 13 moment where we need to be in opposition to our government and pay God rather than humans? And sometimes it's a bit of both. And so then the question is, how do we respond? How do we live out our convictions? And here is, again, my concern in this matter. How we respond in this moment and with respect to these issues matters. How we carry ourselves, regardless of your convictions, has implications, not just for this moment and not just for some kind of internal audience of church people, but for a watching world. John chapter 14, Jesus reminds us, one of the hallmarks of people who follow him is love. They, meaning those who are not currently followers of Jesus, will know that we are Christians by our love. And so we have to be careful when we start to see people in our church family or in our families as other than deeply loved bearers of Christ. If we start seeing people of members of a category, like, oh, those people are vaxxers or those people are anti-vaxxers. If this happens, we are losing our ability to sit with others, to listen, and to be transformed. And so Jericho, watch your witness. I want for us to be a community who images God, a good God who loves people. And God loves people into places of transformation. God loves people even if they are not moving in the same direction as God on particular issues or at the speed of change in their lives that we might think would be ideal. That is the story that we are living in right now and it is the story that many of us have lived in and will continue to live in. Our responses, both to each other and our families, whether it's related to these or other issues, our responses in this moment as people of faith, as churches in Langley and in Canada in front of a watching world matters. And so Jericho, watch your witness. If the Spirit of God is convicting you in any way, then this is that moment to kind of just check yourself and say, okay, are there attitudes or actions that I need to reflect on in some way? Maybe, maybe the Spirit of God brings to you a post that you made. Maybe it was a long time ago. You need to just take it down because it's not done in the spirit of love. Maybe there's a person that comes to your mind, a conversation that you need to set up. Maybe it's someone that you need to apologize to. Maybe it's someone that you need to gently inquire of and prompt them in some way. Maybe for you, you just say, I need to, I need to actually disengage from some conversations because I'm just not finding it to be fruitful spiritually or relationally. I'm not able to do the work of respecting them as a person. It is hard work. Relationships in this season are hard work, but let's remain committed to each other, to seeking the Lord and to speaking well of each other in our community and responding with wisdom. God helping us. Let's pray together and then we'll respond in worship. Jesus, we, we need your wisdom. And You promise us, God, in in the book of James that if we lack wisdom and that we ask you, that you don't withhold it. In fact, you're a generous God, and you will pour it out and give it to us generously. And so, Father, I ask for wisdom in this time in which we live. I ask that you would grant each person who's connected with Jericho profound wisdom and grace. God, I pray for relationships that are maybe strained, some that have been broken. I pray, Father, that in love that you would knit them back together. Pray for opinions that are forming to the place of being calcified and that you would desire to soften in our hearts. I pray that you would speak truth. Father, I pray that uh, you would continue to allow for us to bear a fruitful witness in this season and in this generation. And Father, I pray uh, that you would find us faithful in that. We know, Father, that uh, we can only do this because of your goodness and your grace and your love for us. And God, I pray that we also would be those who tell that story to a watching world, the goodness and love of God. And so, Father, we pray that you'd strengthen and equip us to that end. In the name of Jesus, we pray, amen. And friends, we're going to uh, respond as we do every week here uh, in worship and in song. We also have our prayer team that is available for you. And today, that's Ali and Kathy in person if you're joining us online.